The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. And on the line now to talk about the issues of the day, Davina Montgomery, good morning. Good morning, Mitch. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you for a Monday. I'm just having a look through uh, some of the breaking news. And as of about 15 minutes, I see the Taliban has claimed in Afghanistan that the war is over and they're essentially claiming victory. And there's video of them inside the uh, the presidential palace, I'm assuming in Kabul. Um, that is a human rights tragedy, I think, in the making. Yeah, it certainly is, Mitchell. Um, look, in many ways, it's a it's a terribly sad morning this morning, and and something that really, I mean, Australia has been a, a significant part of the the past twenty years, and that post post nine eleven, that two thousand and one invasion of Afghanistan, and I think that you know, as as people who um, feel part of the international community and feel our responsibility to our fellow human beings that we need to pause and reflect on should we ever have invaded that country if if the point was to to root out the source of the terrorism attacks that happened in America and were happening around other parts of particular Europe at the time as well. Let's not remember that this wasn't just a, an American issue, though, of course, 9-11 and the attacks on the Twin Towers became the symbol of that. But we had bombings in in London, in Germany, in, you know, in a number of parts of Europe as well. And so if that was the point, then surely we have special forces that could have done this without having a full invasion. Um, we've seen this before in history, certainly in recent history. I mean, Vietnam was a generation ago and it was very much the same situation when you've got a resident a resident group and and let's not forget the taliban are uh, they are a part of afghanistan they will always be part of afghanistan do they need to be in charge of afghanistan look you know anyone who has any appreciation for for gender equality um, and for, you know, for fair and equal rights across a society of, of minority groups of all kinds would suggest that, no, that's not an ideal situation. And unfortunately, that's the situation that the people of Afghanistan are finding themselves in. So very sad, um, terrible at seeing the scenes at the Kabul airport of people desperate to get out of the country. Um, but, you know, we don't know yet how many will be able to make those flights. Well, I believe the airport's under the control of the Taliban, like everything else. Yeah, yeah. It's look. It's there's there's helicopters that are coming out of the U.S. embassy. Um, the U.S. British U.S. and British troops are being sent in to secure the airport. So that airport is now becoming. You know, we've seen the presidential palace, of course, Taliban fighters uh, in the presidential palace, but. We, we are seeing that the, the battle has now shifted to the airport to at least try and get some of the um, those people that are desperate to get out, at least give them the opportunity to do that. But we don't know. It's it's a fast un- unfolding situation. And, you know, it took a week, a week to undo 20 years of fighting and the, and the devastating loss of the armed forces, um, both in, you know, in the US and, and many of its ally countries and also of the Taliban citizens, you know, so many dead so many injured um so many traumatized by this this war that didn't just start 20 years ago i mean this, this, i think the country's been at war for 43 years mm. um it's terribly sad yeah terribly sad day 
Um, looking at the COVID situation closer to home, some concerning numbers, I think, out of Melbourne. It's 22 new local cases, but you would be thinking that maybe after being in lockdown for such a long time, there'd be a bit of a downturn in those new cases. And the really concerning one is that five of those 22 are unknown. I just wonder if there's issues around lockdowns and the fact that people are becoming less compliant with each subsequent lockdown. I mean, we've had pub crawls in Melbourne that had to be shut down. There's talk about an engagement party with 60 people in a home that um, didn't get shut down but has now um, surfaced because of a video. So, I don't know, what do you think? Are lockdowns still as effective as they were, say, last year? I think in many ways they're more effective than what they were last year, Mitch, when they've been done, when they've been put in place at the speed that this was at the beginning of lockdown. Um, We certainly can't underestimate the amount of fatigue, the lockdown fatigue that is right across the community, certainly across all parts of Melbourne that have felt um, the impacts of lockdown a lot more than those of us in regional Victoria, and we can be thankful for that. Uh, uh, you know, we all know we're all sick of it. Everyone's sick of it. Um, certainly, you know, everyone in Melbourne is absolutely sick of it. But when it's early, when it's fast, when it's widespread, um, that makes a big difference. We might still be seeing. Uh, it's it's a tricky one. This this Delta variant, because we do see cases where people have become infected within 24 hours. We're also seeing cases where people aren't becoming um, symptomatic or in, you know, that are recording those positive results until 10, 13, 14 days after contracting the virus. So we're still in that period from when we had that first lockdown. So I, I don't think the authorities know yet whether these cases are really people who've caught the virus during this time, um, and I'm talking about the community spread cases, the mystery cases, yes. or whether these are people that had this virus early last week, or you know, and then they were, you know, while they were still, while they were still out in the community, and now those cases are coming to light. So we probably need a little bit more information, but I do think that lockdowns are more effective now, certainly, than what they were earlier. I just think they're bloody hard. Yeah, they're so so hard, and. And it, unfortunately, it is those times. No one thinks that they're carrying the virus and going out and spreading it. I mean, I can't imagine that anyone is sitting there going, oh, I've got coronavirus, I'm going to go visit my parents or, you know, my brother and his family. Um, I just don't think people are doing that. I really don't. But unfortunately, for many people that have this virus, when they're spreading it, they don't know that they have it. And it's those little things that, you know, God, aren't we all kind of, you know, most this. <laughs> I'm going to say all of us, but, you know, to varying degrees, we are seeing it. We're seeing people without masks. Oh, I just can't be bothered wearing it. I'm standing outside and I'm standing, you know, I'm talking face to face with someone or, you know, oh, I just, you know, why can't I just drop in and see my friend or my parents or, you know, my family and and that won't be, you know, I'm not infectious, I'll be fine. And when it's one or two of those, that's probably not a problem. When it's really widespread, that's exactly where we're getting the problem. So, unfortunately... It only needs one case to spread, as we know, because this is just so absolutely virulent. Um, it's a problem, Mitch, but I really do believe that we're, we're not far away. I think we're going to see those community spread numbers come down. I certainly hope so, that we'll see those community spread numbers come down reasonably fast. Whether it's in time to prevent an extension of the lockdown in Melbourne, I don't think so. Not at this mm. point. Um, but who knows? 
Uh, just the point about the engagement party, that is, I think, going to be an interesting mm. and a fascinating test of just how this virus spreads in a sad way, because if apparently there were two positive cases at that event and 60 other people, uh, it will be very interesting to see how many of those 60 that were in a confined space without masks, etc., get it. Yeah, it really will, Mitch. And it, look, it, that's my heart sinks when I think about that because well, there, there are unknowns. We don't know how many people at that party were vaccinated. We don't know how infectious. So the, we know that there are some people that are that are highly infectious with uh, with coronavirus, with SARS-CoV-2, and that there are other people who are less infectious. So a, a lot of it depends on luck. But if we're unlucky and those people were highly infectious and there were 60 people in that indoor space sharing the same air um, and if the vast majority of them or all of them were unvaccinated, it could be very bad outcome for those people. And, and you know, you extrapolate that out and you go 60 people at an engagement party, chances are most of them were related. Um, Will everyone survive it if it spreads through that party? I don't think so. And imagine being that young couple spending the rest of their life thinking we made a decision to hold an engagement party and look what the consequences were. Yeah, and hopefully that sends a message to other people that are thinking about, oh, let's just have a party or let's just have people come over and visit. It'll be fine because, as you say, you don't know when you have the virus and you don't know when you could be passing it on to someone else. Yeah, and that's that's really that's the problem with this. I mean, that's why... As hard as they are, that's why the rules are don't go into people's homes. And I can't tell you, I think I had five conversations over the weekend with people who said, I don't understand why I can go to a cafe with people and there's, you know, an indoor space full of people I don't know. Um, None of them are wearing masks because they're sitting down and eating and drinking. And yet I can't just go and visit, say, you, you're my family. Why can't I go and visit you? You know, your family, you don't have it. And it's like, well, A, you don't know that we don't have it and I don't know that you don't. Mm. Um, B, you're not contact tracing coming into my house. And C, let's face it, if you walk into my house, your mask is off. It's a hug and a kiss and and everyone's there and we're just hoping that no one has it. Um, And that's not good enough. And it's not social distancing either, I suppose, at a cafe or restaurant. At least you're sitting around a table. You've got your assigned seat. You're sitting there. You've got sort of a forced distance that way. But at a house party, when everyone's standing around mingling and talking to each other, there's no real sense of social distancing at all. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, this engagement party is exactly the reason why we don't have the ability to go and visit you know, close friends and family at the moment in their home is because the authorities know absolutely that for the vast majority of people, it might be one or two or a single household visiting a single household and the risk of that is probably relatively low. But they also know that as soon as you allow this, you're also allowing these sorts of events and that's the problem. And now we're actually seeing that. It's just, oh, it's sad and it's really frustrating, Mitch, to just go, This none of this is new. We all know um, where the issues are. We all know why we want to get out of this bloody lockdown as quickly as we can and what we need to do to be able to get out. Unfortunately, I think there are still some gaps in the messaging and the communication and um, the numbers are starting to suggest that that is particularly happening in people who have the primary language at home as a language that is not English. Um, That isn't a reflection on those communities. That's actually a reflection on us and the way that we've managed and communicated this. This is something that we all need to share. And we need to find ways a lot better for people within those communities who 
can be um, be the conduit for that information, who can be that trusted voice that says, you know what, if we just do this, we'll be okay. Here's the information that you need to know about the vaccines. Here's the information that you need to know about keeping yourselves and your family safe. Um, and we can still all do this together and, and be part of this together. Because I don't think it is, um, I don't think it's, well, I think it's absolutely wildly unfair to point to any particular community, any particular faith community particularly, and to say, look, that's the problem. That isn't the problem. The vast majority of people in that community are doing the right thing, regardless of which community is in your head when we talk about that. The fact is, though, that there are some that are still very uncertain, quite untrusting, will be receiving a lot of their information off social media in their own language, which means it's not controlled by any messaging that's coming in from there. And I mean, just think about what sort of, if you didn't know any, if you, if that was the only source of information for you, largely, apart from a few conversations, which are minimal because we're in lockdown and the social connections are not there, if the vast majority of your information across the day is received on a Facebook feed or on a WhatsApp feed, how much are you going to, you know, is that what really what we want to be doing here? Mm. But unfortunately, that's where it's landed. Luckily, so, the Pulse has been at the forefront of that because we've had people <laughs> in the communities actually translating um, from the multicultural yeah. programs, translating a lot of the government messages into language and sending it out to the community. So I think we actually were one of the first people that were involved in Victoria and then they've taken the idea around to other cities but we were actually working with um, the government a lot of people that listen don't know that but the Pulse was actually doing a lot of work behind the scenes translating. Mitch that's absolutely fantastic that's such a one thank you for sharing that by the way Um, that is exactly what we want and need we need this to be a whole of community and I don't mean that as a whole of community from the government down I mean literally neighbours friends community members community radio we need to band together in this because it is the only way we're going to get through and you know what mitch the the work of the pulse in that space the the work of the local communities in being so engaged and so proactive and getting on this and saying hey we can do this and we're going to we're not going to wait for somebody to tell us to do it we're just going to go out and do it that is exactly the reason why this community in geelong and i do mean all of us in this We actually have managed this virus as well as just about anywhere in Australia. Our vaccination numbers are very high per capita. We we have managed the lockdowns really, really well. We've had, you know, not as many breaches as many, many other parts of the country. Um, Our case numbers have, we had that big spike last year, but we got that under control really quickly. The buy-in across this community has been extraordinary and it just goes to show that, you know, when you do link arms and really treat it like we're all in this together, and then comes metaphorically because, of course, that's not socially distant. Mm. But, but when we do back each other in and when we do work together and when we get on the front foot and say, I'm not going to wait, I'm not waiting for a phone call from a health authority, I'm not waiting for a government reach out to do something, here's something that we can do, I'm just going to go and do it. And just on the vaccine rollout, uh, the million new doses of Pfizer that have apparently landed overnight, according to our news service, um, I said earlier that I read that all of them were being sent to Sydney, but it's clear that that's only 50%. Uh, um, yeah, 530,000 of them. Okay, so just uh, 53%. To, to yeah. Um, I don't know, is that the right call? I mean, yes, they're in a diabolical situation and I'm just hoping that we don't hear out of Sydney this morning because they usually have their media conference at 11 o'clock. I'm just hoping we don't have a situation where it's over 500 cases today, but it very well could be. But um, I think the problem is that the Pfizer vaccine, it takes time because you've got to get the first dose, then it takes time after the first dose to be protected, then you've got to go and get your second dose, and then it takes a few weeks from that to be protected. So there's that big lag time, and I don't know, should you be trying to prioritise other areas because the virus could spread there and it could be them that are in lockdown in um, a few months' time. 
Yeah, look, it, it could, Mitch, but I, I do think that it's the right response. And, and I only say that because, oh, look, I think when you know that you can go out and get a vaccine, when that option is available to you, it actually changes the way that you think about about the virus. It's, it, it might be subconscious for a lot of us, but just knowing that you can go and you can get that vaccine and you're on that path, you're automatically part of that public health response. Um, and it just makes you a little bit more aware of this virus. You've gone and literally, you know, bared your arm, you've got the jab. Um, you might feel a little bit rubbish, you know, the next day or a couple of days afterwards, but, you, you know, you might have a sore arm and that's enough to just kind of go, okay, this is, you know, this is what we're doing. We're doing this so that I don't get that virus um, or I don't get it again, which is, you know, is, is possible for people who've already now. We have a, a whole lot of people in Australia who have had the coronavirus. They can still catch it again. Their immunity isn't strong like it is against other viruses once you've had them. So we need vaccines in arms. Uh, we do know that it's those 20-year-olds to 39-year-olds. That's the big spreaders at the moment. So um, stories of, of families with young kids in parks where they're all standing around together, they've got their masks, you know, down or partly down or they're having a coffee so their masks are off, all sitting around together having a chat. The kids are all playing together. That's actually how this is spreading. So the, the quicker that we can get vaccinations into arms, absolutely. We need to shut down this outbreak in, in Sydney as quickly as we can. It ain't going to be quick. It's going to take time. So the lag time of the virus, I think, is, is not as big an issue because we are looking at, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, probably until Christmas, to be honest, before Sydney is something like under control. Mm. Um, it's going to be a long haul for them now. This is well and truly out of control. And it is going to take quite a long time to get back under control, and we are talking months. Well, I've said so it a couple think, of times. I did the numbers on last year in Victoria, yeah. and this wasn't Delta. So I think we had 700 new cases in late July. Melbourne was released from the restrictions, and we became one state again on the 9th of November. So from July to November. So that's what they, if they start the yeah. aggressive lockdown now, um, presumably with Delta being even worse than what we did last year, um, it's going to be until the end of the year, isn't it? It is. It is. And that's. I think that's the realistic view. Um, I don't think there is any sugarcoating it. That is exactly what they're facing in Sydney right now. So the, the more vaccine that we can get in there, the more that we can control, help to start control the spread of this virus from a number of points of views. And, and vaccine is not going to be enough while this virus is still running rampant, while it's still mutating so, so rampantly. We will need to keep social distancing. We will need to have masks. But if we can be socially distanced, use masks sensibly and be able to go to the footy, to have, you know, parties, to see our family again, to look forward to holidays and the kind of Christmas that we want to have, all those kind of family celebrations that we want to be able to have, to be able to see our friends, you know, interstate, things like that. They're the carrot. That's what we all want. That's what we're trying to get to. So COVID normal will be different for a while. But vaccination is that other part of the strategy that just gives us that extra layer of protection. It won't do everything um, until there's a global control of this virus, until we can beat this virus down into something that we can continually vaccinate again and there might still be a few steps in the way. But when you think about where we were this time last year, mm. we're in a much, much better position right now. There is hope. And um, thankfully, the light at the end of the tunnel isn't a train. 
And yeah, well, that's right. And from a communications point of view, uh, I know the New South Wales maybe hasn't done it quite as well as we have. Just looking at, uh, I'm reading this article in the Daily Telegraph from Sydney, and they point out that the state went into an entire state-wide lockdown, and it was only announced on Twitter. Um, they didn't seem to really front a press conference. And I'm not sure if their no. Minister for Health up there, Brad Hazard, I'm not sure if he's the right person to be that front uh, first and foremost spokesperson like he was in a couple of the media conferences up there. Yeah, look, I think the I think the big problem that they've got in New South Wales now is that unfortunately they were very lucky during the last lockdown. Um, Victoria really bore the brunt of that first big outbreak when we didn't have any protection from vaccine, where we had such devastating spread through aged care um, and you know and right through a whole lot of elderly populations, which of course saw soaring numbers of very very severe disease and far too many lives lost um and now we have you know so many people that are living with long COVID and the impacts of that as well which is which is you know incredibly sad and it's something that we're going to need to look at how we support those people in the years ahead um sydney were lucky and it didn't get into their aged care populations particularly it didn't get out into a, a widespread into the western suburbs southwestern suburbs as it has now so at the time People down here, the epidemiologists down here were saying, if this actually got into Sydney, it would be worse than Melbourne because their numbers are very similar in the way that the the population and demographics sit, um, but slightly more worrying. So they kind of believed their own press, I think. I think that became a problem politically and not just the government I'm talking about. I think the entire state actually kind of believed that they had this, you know, we know how to do this. We've got this sold. We do this our way. We're not going to be stupid and locked down like you Victorians. The problem, of course, is that now we all know, including the federal government, that lockdowns was the only way if we wanted to not have wild running virus. Um, And we also know that, you know, wild running virus is a big problem. Just have a look at the news from, you know, countries that that are really well set up in many ways. You know, look at the US, look at UK, look at... Oh, goodness, all parts of the world. Singapore has had another outbreak. Um, Israel, even with its very good healthcare system and huge amount of vaccination, 80% of the adult vaccinate, the adult population is now vaccinated. They're now having another outbreak because those vaccinations are now six months old. The, the protection has dropped down to something like 20% in, as low as 20% in some of those people, and now the virus is back. So, you know, believing your own press is a problem. You, you've got to deal with what's in front of you today. And what's going to be in front of you tomorrow, not what was in front of you last year. Um, that's what we know. Uh, that's what New South Wales is now learning. Unfortunately, they've just been a little bit slow to learn it, which is sad because, you know, if we went through all that pain last year. You would hope that the other parts of the country were looking on and saying, oh, Jesus, we don't want that to happen to us. And yet here it is happening. So that's mm. unfortunate. But um if you treat this as a political issue, if you treat this as something that is in a certain space, in a certain state, in a certain part of the community, in a certain faith, in a certain demographic of age, then you're a fool because the virus does not care. It really doesn't. It doesn't have any kind of social awareness. There is absolutely, there is a one thing that this virus wants to do and that is to spread and to survive. That's all it cares about. And wherever there's a gap in the way that you know, if you think about the way that water flows, if there's a bit of a break in the system, if there's a bit of a gap under your door, if there's, you know, a crack in the concrete, the water will go find a way. Well, that is exactly what viruses do. And this virus particularly is doing that very effectively. So, so we need to lose all 
Um, a particular person standing up the phone telling us it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the virus will do what it's going to do unless we act. And we're going to act more effectively against it. We just all need to learn the lessons. And not just here, not just New South Wales. You know, this could run rampant through the Northern Territory. It could run rampantly through Western Australia. It certainly had um, some outbreaks in Queensland, so they've learned a bit. Uh, I don't know that Adelaide, South Australia have been pretty effective and Tasmania has been pretty effective and have good vaccination numbers. But there is no such thing as safe right now. And they won't be safe until the entire world is vaccinated, until we understand how we need to have booster vaccines, until there's enough vaccine for everyone, which there certainly isn't around the world right now. We can't even get them into enough arms in Australia, extrapolate that out across the entire world. Look, thanks for being on the program. It's a bit of a grim time when you put it all like that, but we'll get there and uh, talk to you again in two weeks' time. I'm sorry to be such a downer, Mitch, but look, as I said, the the one thing to hold on to is that A, we know that we can do this because we've done it before, and B, we have vaccine, which we didn't have last year. So we are on the home straight. It's just going to take a bit of time, and sometimes the closer you get to the finishing line, the harder it is. You know, think about our amazing marathon runner from Australia. You know, sometimes that finishing line can be so bloody hard to get to, and it can really, really hurt coming up close to it, but it is there, and we can see it. Thank you very much. Uh, talking to X, Davina Montgomery with us there with her thoughts on the issues of the day. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts.